Yes, I respond to them. Hey friends, welcome to the sixth episode of the Juicy Details. I'm Hillary Murray, your host, and today we have a great guest, Hayes Humphreys. Uh, he is Vice President of Regional Craft Beer for Anheuser-Busch InBev. That's the one you picked, okay. Yes, yes, there's many titles. That's the one he currently embodies, but he's he started all the way at Founders of Devil's Backbone, Bone, which is a craft brewery, and we're going to get into all the juicy details about Hayes, his career path, how exciting his life has been, and how he's built a company to exit to a multinational corporation, which is just phenomenal. So to start, Hayes and I, we don't have a shot today. We have a Lumi Green Juice. Love you, mean it. This is Hayes' first time. You'd love the orange juice, but I was never a, a green juice person. So yeah, oh, I can't I wait to, to see, We're going to see his feedback in real time here. Cheers. Cheers. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to chug the whole thing. I'm glad that we didn't do that. No, it's 10 ounces. I'm not forcing you to chug chug the whole thing. That's good. I dig it. I like cucumber. I like apple. Yep. A little hint of celery in there. There is. solid. Can't taste any kale. So really hitting all the marks, I think. Hitting all the marks. And Italian flyleaf parsley, Mm -hmm. which is really good to help Um, eradicate heavy metals from your your body. I see that. There's like, yeah, there's a little freshness on the back end. I get it. I like these tasty notes. I'm going to write them down. Uh, We also have um, a devil's back... Backbone Orange Crush here. This has natural... Speaking of removing toxins from your body. Yeah, we're removing toxins, and this is actually pretty tox- not toxic in the sense that it has natural juices, yes. orange juice in it, uh, and, and vodka. So, yes. cheers. We're going to also cheers. Cheers. We make no health claims, just to clarify. <laughs> yes, yes. We need to clarify that. For Lumi, we make health claims. For Orange Crush... We have fun. Orange Smash. Yeah, they have fun. Is that it? Is that the tagline? No. It's just truth. Ready to drink is what it says. Yeah. That is your tagline. Okay, so Hayes, tell us all about it. And this is a new, normally the guest is sitting across the way, but Hayes is sitting next to me today, which is great. I feel like it's less I'm a, of a I'm a craft beer guy. I came in and I messed everything up. That's what we do. So. All right, well, tell us, so start at the beginning. How did you get, well, before you went to business school at UVA, start maybe there and then how you've made the transition to Devil's Backbone and just tell us your story. Sure. Um, the the early stuff's um, not that interesting. I grew up in New York City. I was lucky enough to to grow up in Brooklyn, New York, which was awesome. I, I give my parents a lot of thanks for moving there in the seventies. I, I think uh, shout out to my dad. He said uh, he didn't. He, he grew up in in all over the place, but largely more rural Indiana. And he he said he didn't want to be a big fish in a small pond. He wanted to be a small fish in a big pond. So they moved to New York, and I got to grow up in New York, and it was awesome. Um, and it, like a Brooklyn in an apartment building in New York or like, uh, so again, luckily they moved early on. So we, uh, I grew up in a brownstone, which was affordable, uh, in the, in the late seventies in the neighborhood that they bought in. So, um, yeah, I had a pretty, uh, you know, the, the older I get and the more I go back to New York, the more I, I understand, uh, how non-traditional really my New York upbringing was, but it feels it was, it was like the, the Sesame street upbringing. So it, it felt like the New York you see on TV, but... Um, did you learn your ABCs from Sesame Street, I too? did learn my ABCs from Sesame Street, yeah, for sure. Bird. Yeah. Um, as my children are today, it's uh, still still rocking. But, totally. Um, yeah, after 18 years there, I wanted to go somewhere else. I loved New York. 
And uh, I always remember my college guidance counselor was like, what do you want in a college? And I was like, I would like it to be warm and far away. And she was like, great, what else? I was like, "That's those are pretty much my criteria. So That's pretty easy criteria. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know from New York, what's warm and far away, Florida. I mean, everybody goes to like the, the you know, brick building schools in the Northeast where it snows all the time. And yeah. so that wasn't really my jam. So anyway, I ended up in Southern California at a school called Claremont McKenna College. Um, and it was great. It was amazing. I loved going to school out there. Um, I got a degree. I went in as a history major. I loved history. I still love history. But along the way, I got sidetracked uh, by accounting of all things. Oh, wow. And so I got an economics and accounting degree there and left school as a public auditor with KPMG. Um, and did you go to New York again? Or no, I, I, uh, I chased my girlfriend at the time back to Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, and audited companies around there. Uh, my favorite was Amtrak. Uh, I got to ride the trains some morning. They, they do their accounting in different cities. And so some mornings I would just get, get up and ride the train to Philadelphia. That was cool. Oh my goodness. Uh, I love that. I'm a huge fan of Amtrak. It's I like, love Amtrak. Trains are my, I wish that we had more high speed rail in the yeah. United States. Yeah, yeah. More trains coming to Charlottesville. Shout out. Take Amtrak. They're always full, which is good. But oh, more there are more coming. trains going to mm-hmm. be coming? Oh, yeah. this, this episode is not sponsored by Amtrak, no. but we are thankful no. there'll be more trains no. coming. Sometimes soon we're going to get service to Norfolk, which is cool. So we won't wow. just have to go north and south. We can go east as well. So, so are you on? Are you affiliated with Amtrak? I'm so? not. I just Read I news. like the train. It's it's a relaxing way to travel. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, did that in D.C. for a few years. Yeah. Wasn't really my jam. Um, I think that was the first time I I sort of figured out that you know I wasn't really a big didn't really fit into a big company really. Sure. Um, what was it about a big company that didn't fit you? I mean, I don't know if I can articulate it. At the end of the day, the moment that I will always remember um, was I had a client in uh, Dallas, Texas, and I was, it was February, and it was cold, and I was traveling, and I was one of the only two yeah. people on the team traveling to this client. Everybody else was local, and I was there on a Saturday, and I was there with the partner on the engagement, and we were both sitting there tying out financial statements, which for those who aren't accountants that or auditors, like that means basically you're just redoing all the math that people already did to make sure that whatever you publish is accurate. Uh, and it's not the most glamorous part of accounting, and I wasn't very senior, so it made sense. But my partner was doing the same thing, and I was like, man, this guy's he's achieved top level, and I have not, and we're both here at the same table on Saturday doing the same thing, which uh, from a leadership perspective, I, it, I appreciate that he was doing that, but sure. I was also like... I got to get out of here because my goal is not to be here for 20 years and, and still be doing this. So. Well, it sounds like Groundhog Day. A little bit. No, no, no a little bit. And, and like I have to say, while being a public uh, accountant wasn't exactly my cup of tea, I've used those skills nonstop, and I would recommend them to anyone. I mean, sure. it's genuinely, I believe, uh, the reason that I got into Darden. So I ended up coming down here because I came to, to the Darden School of Business at UVA. And I firmly believe that Wahoo um, you know, I was in a class full of very impressive people, and then there was me, and I firmly believe that the only reason I was there is they need X number of people every year to explain accounting to everybody else, and I was one of those people. And graciously, they put accounting in the first quarter, sure. and so I was able to demonstrate my worth first before having absolutely no idea what was going on and have to lean on everybody else. Sure. Um, but that worked out for me. So I would always say that at the very least, uh, my accounting degree got me into business school. Um, and I got to do some really cool things along the way. Uh, the other thing when I was a public accountant that I realized, I couldn't really articulate what I wanted to do that wasn't what I was doing. But the thing I liked best about what I was doing 
was when we would go do inventory counts and we would actually go to the manufacturers or warehouses or whatever and like count the actual things they were making and that was really exciting for me and, and I started to figure out that I actually wanted to to make something, to have something tangible as a result of what I was doing. Um, and that actually worked out for me later on and that's proven to be true. But that was that was one of the things I figured out there. Um, so yeah. Then Darden, it was great. I survived. Sure. Um, I think sur- survive is one of the words we use at Darden. <laughs> Surviving yeah. is uh, thriving yeah. at Darden. Yeah. Uh, some, I came in, I wrote all my essays about doing renewable energy and being a Ooh. A great steward to the environment. Um, and then after being there for a little while, I realized I didn't really know anything about that. And I wasn't interested enough to convince everyone that they needed me. Yeah. So what I do you mean on. by not interesting enough? Like for the renewable energy? Because this was 2011, yeah. right? 2010. Yeah, so yeah. renewable energy was kind of, it was a new thing. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't a new thing. Not new. But every every time I would talk to somebody yeah. in business about renewable energy, sure. they would say at the time, Yes. It was a field dominated by engineers figuring out all the technical things that had to be done for renewable energy, and they desperately needed more business people involved, sure. but they didn't know it yet. And so it really came down to, like, I realized that I wasn't passionate enough about it to try to convince them that they needed me. Uh, they seemed to be doing just fine on their own. I would argue they've done just fine without me. So, yes. um, so yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of floating around, uh, and then... Uh, shout out to my classmate Stefan Tallman, who turned to me in class one day, the middle of uh, macroeconomics, gem, the, the class I understood the least about. Did you have Alan Beckenstein? I had Alan Beckenstein. I, I, yep. I had him as yeah, well, absolutely. and I actually saw him speak on the last Friday. He's very smart, and I never understood any of it. Um, still don't. Still don't, yeah. Uh, and he, he leaned over and he said, Hey, man, do you want to start a brewery? And it was like, I, I always say it was like an 80s montage in my brain where it was just like every preconception that I subconsciously had about beer that I didn't realize I had just came flooding in about how beer's made and how beer's sold and who drinks beer and and every association ever with beer. And they were all completely stereotypical, some of them true stereotypes, I would say, now that I'm in the industry, but a lot of them just like what I'd seen in movies. and, And I just, I was like, wow, I had never considered that as a job that you could do. I really enjoyed going to bars, as anyone I went to school with could tell you. Uh, I enjoyed drinking beer, and I just had never thought about it as an actual job. Like, the idea of selling beer, like, how hard could that be? Everybody loves beer. It turns out it's very hard. There's a Uh, lot of rules. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about it. Foreshadowing. It's hard. But, um, but yeah, And, and I started looking around, and it was, I would say, right around that time, 2009, 2010, craft beer was, uh, undergoing a transformation from not the earliest, earliest stages of craft. Craft beer really got its start, you know, depending on who you want to credit it with as early as the late 60s with Anchor Steam or, you know, more people I think oh, would Anchor say. Oh, Anchor they're from California, right? They're from California. Yeah, they're yeah. good. Um, Is that Scrimshaw? No, that's No, different. that's North Coast. Also love that beer. Um, but... Uh, we'll have to do a beer tasting one day we, on air. We could definitely do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, don't remember at all what I was saying, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. Um, I mean, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Of my interrupting. Sorry. Um, so you were, you were talking about how you had knew nothing about beer. You knew nothing about yeah. what brewing was like. Yeah, yeah. And you so it wasn't you could the yeah. Beer thank you. You knew how to drink it well. Great prompt. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't the earliest early stages of craft, but sure. craft throughout the '80s and '90s started to grow, and it was really at a time when people didn't actually believe that you could make that 
an average person could make really high quality beer. People were very honestly, if you read the earliest books, like afraid of craft beer, which is so weird to think about now because really people loved the technological advancements that got you to big macro loggers. They were perceived as safe and these sort of trophies of American manufacturing and, um, people loved them. And the idea that you were going to drink something that some dude made in his garage, understandably turned people off a little bit. So that first, I, I think of rat houses and skippies. Yeah. And, yeah so that first round really convinced people that you could do it. Yes. And then a bunch of people rushed in, in the late nineties and it turns out not everyone could do it. And so there's a lot of bad beer out there and the industry had a little bit of a, a consolidation okay. and then it kind of took off again throughout the two thousands. And I came in really, um, at a midpoint in that where breweries had started opening, but they were still um, really early stage sort of baby companies. Okay. And I would say even some of the largest ones out there, I, I remember in 2009, 2010, as I started thinking about doing this, going to the grocery store and looking at the craft beer shelf, and it was all this crazy cartoony tie-dye packaging, all these, all these things that really felt pretty basic. And I remember thinking, like, you know what, I think I actually could make a difference here. Yeah. Um, and so started getting into it. Well, so really quickly, in 2008, 2009, for people that might be younger, people that might be older, people just like like their generic Coors Light, Bud Light, things like that, the craft brewing space was like in Atlanta, Sweetwater, right, was happening here. Samuel Adams, was was that no longer considered craft in 2008, No, that was, that was craft, Boston? still considered craft for sure. Okay. Um, I mean, they were definitely the leader. Um, sure. New Belgium was big with Fat Tire. Sure. A lot of the bigger breweries today, you know, were the biggest breweries then, but they were much smaller, right? Okay. The scale of the industry overall was much smaller. And it was before, so when I started at Devil's Backbone in 2011, there were 1,500 craft breweries in the country. There's now 11,000-ish. So, wow. you know, the, the scale of expansion since then has been significantly faster. Um, and the beer was good, and we were making a lot of traditional European styles. IPA hadn't you know, the IPAs that people were making tended to be more traditional English style IPAs. The West Coast IPAs that we're familiar with now were only starting to be born, really. Um, but yeah, I remember then between 2010 and then 2011 when I actually got into yeah. it, I think a lot of those sort of leading companies, I specifically remember New Belgium. New Belgium did a, a packaging refresh in between when I first looked at the shelf and then when I graduated. And it was like they had the same realization where it was like they grew up on the shelf as a company sure. and it was almost like, Oh, maybe they figured it out and they don't need me after all, you know? Um, totally. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I ended up sending my resume. I just, uh, for my summer internship. I mean, this is a lot of, uh, I love this story, but essentially, uh, for my summer at, you know, in between first year and second year at Darden, when everybody goes off and gets a fancy internship, sure. I was just desperate to get anything in the beer industry cause I had no credibility. Craft was a pretty tight, community. Um, there was a lot of um, sort of fear of outsiders, right? And I, I understand it now because there is this idea that, oh, beer is fun. Like, everybody wants to get in beer. Like, you know, you pull up in your yeah. your beer car and no doubt someone would be like, hey, man, got any samples for me? You know, got, can yeah. I be your taste tester? And so people are always nervous in the industry that somebody who wants to get in the industry just think it's fun and games all the time. Sure. And uh, so it, it was an insular industry. And I was just trying to get into it. And I literally like found the list of the top 50 craft breweries on the internet sure. and sent my resume to all of them. None of them responded. I was really starting to sweat. It was but like, I bet they're regretting it now. It was like, ah, I don't know about that. There's, there's plenty of good people, but, but, uh, man, it was like end of April. Yes. First year, everybody else had a job. Yes. My parents were looking pretty hard at me. Like you're going to do what now? 
And then finally, uh, there's a brewery in D.C. called Capital City Brewing Company sure. that I'd been familiar with when I was up there. And they finally called me back. I'd started sending out to some local breweries, and, and they finally called me back. Uh, and, you know, the brewmaster there, Mike McCarthy, uh, who, who runs a great brewery in, in Waynesboro and Front Royal now, uh, he That's called basic- me. Is that Basic City? What's his, what is his Front Royal one called? Uh, it's called Vibrissa Beer. It's okay. really, really good. Um, but yeah, he called me back, and he was uh, basically like, hey, I have, a, uh, I have an opening for a, a truck driver. Oh, fine. Um, my truck driver quit, and I need somebody. They had three breweries. They brewed at one, and they needed to deliver to the other two. Sure. And he was like, I see you're in business school. He was like, I don't want any of that nonsense. Like, <laughs> none of that. You're just here to drive the truck. I'm going to pay $10 an hour. You cool with that? I was like, yes. Thank God. Thank God I have a job. Uh, career services did not feel the same way. They did not think that was an adequate job. Well, I, for... think, I think it's probably the best job. You got to be boots on the ground. It was great. Tell us about it. Uh, I got to, I lived at a buddy's parents' house in Falls Church. Okay. Um, so fun in Falls Church. Really a lot so of fun in Falls Church. We were right off the, uh, I forget what it's called now, but there's a bike trail that goes along the old railroad tracks. So I could ride my bike uh, to work, which was great. Um, so I didn't have to take, uh, take you know, sit in traffic in Northern Virginia traffic. It was a pretty long ride. It was like six or seven miles. Sure. I wasn't much of a bike rider before, but I rode my bike to work. Okay. I lifted kegs all day. I sure. rode my bike home. I was pretty ripped. It was pretty great. Never had that, bef- <laughs> never had that again in the beer industry. Um, but <laughs> was, yeah. Was and then gain a few LBSs. Yeah. Yeah. Less bike riding, more beer drinking now. Um, but you know, more amazing happenstance, right? Between when I accepted that call and two weeks later when I yeah. took the job, I actually showed up for the job. Two of the other brewers had gotten picked off to go be supplier reps and stuff in the industry. Okay. And so without even being there, I had already moved up the chain from truck driver to like truck driver slash maybe brewer sometimes if they needed someone to lift bags around. Sure. And that gave did me that access. Did give you a $2 price? It, it did not. No, they nothing. got a good deal. No, they no got a good deal. I was getting plenty out of it. And... um. But that enabled me to learn to actually brew, to make the beer. And I am by no means a brewer. Any of my brewers who would hear this would, uh, you know, would not claim that I'm a brewer. I do think I learned enough to at least be competent about the process, right? And so that's helped me a ton. And the other thing it did was it got me that in, into the industry. It got me a little bit of street cred. And it turns out it's not how I got the role of Devil's Backbone, but our brewmaster Jason Oliver at Devil's Backbone was good friends with Mike McCarthy because he used to brew in DC and so when I did start hanging around Devil's Backbone Jason called Mike and was like what is this guy's deal and Mike was able to be like nah he's cool it's fine you know he's he's not going to mess up your life too much now I don't know if he was right about that but um but Wait, so, it helped. so Devil's Backbone had already kind of been established yeah so Devil started in 2008 okay. right before right right as I got here basically so end of 2008 by here you mean Charlottesville Charlottesville yep, yep for UVA um and they were the pub only. They okay. were the, the anchor business for what was intended to be a housing development at the base of Wintergreen Mountain. Okay. Um, and I actually just learned the other day, I think this is amazing. So our, our, our founder, founder, Steve Crandall, yep. and his wife, Heidi, they ran a home building company. That's how they made their living. Um, and they built all these houses up on Wintergreen. Sure. And he had always wanted to develop this piece of property where we are right at the corner of 664 and 151 in It's Nelson absolutely County. beautiful yeah. for anybody that comes to Charlottesville. It, Devil's it's Backbone beautiful. He is lives, a, mu- a must visit. Yeah, he lived three miles down the road. 
he drove by it. His office, you know, he literally turned the corner to go to his office and build houses on Wintergreen every day, and he always eyeballed it, and it finally came up for sale. And he, he got it, and he subdivided it, and he was going to turn it into a housing development. But it hit the market right in 2007, 2008 as the market crashed. Yeah, really great time. To great time houses. to be developing houses. But all that I knew, what I learned recently, um, I had always understood that he had started Devil's Backbone um, to be this anchor business and help bring attention to the development. And what I've learned recently, actually, is that he started it because nobody was building houses, and his whole building crew was was out of a job, basically. And so he said, like, screw it, let's build, let's build the brewery now. And so he, he accelerated the brewery building project to make sure his team could stay employed and keep their livelihoods and wow, do all awesome. that. It was amazing. They were amazing people um, who cared very much about their, their employees. Um, and I, I use the past sense. Steve passed away a few years, un- unfortunately. Um, but his wife, Heidi, is still involved with the company and, and lives right down the road. But Cheers to Steve. Cheers to Steve, for sure. Taking care of people. Yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, um, so built it. They had started. They had started winning awards. Jason made amazing beer very okay. early on, and then I really Is he responsible. What's the one that had the trout on it? That's striped bass pale ale. Striped bass, bass, not trout. Uh, Is it ever coming back? Great question. Uh, we debated a little bit last year. We've had it on draft in the past year. It'll probably be on draft again. That was a beer that we did. Um, Nelson County is technically in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Yes, and the Crandalls have always operated their property like in. Um, in accordance with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's guidance for how to maintain the watershed appropriately. Yes. Big, big believers in supporting that. And so we actually did that beer in partnership to raise money for them. And um, super cool beer. Uh, it's funny you ask about it. We, we put it on tap and people came out of the woodwork to I mean, it's it literally my favorite. Like, if I could buy it in the store, I'd be buying it. It was a beautiful, day. It'll be, yes, don't tell me these things. Now I, I go to work tomorrow and I'm like, guys, we're bringing back Stripe well, Bass. I mean, I, I wish the people from, you know, global headquarters could hear it. It's, it's not it's, them. It's not them. I killed that one. Most 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 of the things we've done wrong are, are my fault. Oh, so. you're, you killed that one? Yes, you killed the yes, Stripe I Bass? I killed that one. I killed that one. I did a... Um, I did a day in the tap room as a server last year and... Uh, I get a lot of guff because we. I also sunsetted our Schwartz beer, which is our kind of house favorite beer. All the brewers love that. I love sure. that beer. It's a great beer. It's just we needed to rationalize our portfolio a little bit. So this, but, was, the, this was the accountant in you. It wasn't that people loved it. Is it a higher cost product to make? No, and you're it's not making just, money because you're giving it to conservation? There was a time in craft beer where lots and lots of variety yeah. was Bad. great. Oh, okay. Um, but craft beer has started to consolidate a little bit, and so... Okay. There's not as much space on store shelves anymore for sort of, you know, one-off brands and things like yeah. that. And so we had to try to make proactive decisions to stay ahead of that. But the servers at our restaurants really take the brunt of that feedback because people who love a beer that I have discontinued don't get to talk to me. They express their opinions to the servers. So I did a day as a server just to – I <laughs> I asked a dumb question about something in our tap room. And the no tap dumb room questions. No, is it? Well, true. But – it was the little, you know, the little pokey thing that you put the checks on? Oh, I don't yeah, even know yeah. what it's called appropriately yes, still. Yes. But I was standing there, and I watched someone do it, and I was standing there with my GM at the tap room, and I was like, I don't understand what that's for. Sure. And I've been, I've been with Devil's Backbone for 12 years. I've been technically in charge of restaurants for yes. 12 years. And I've seen you work the tap room before. She just sort of, like, did one of these and then was like, I think you probably need to come in here and... and do some work as a server. And I was like, okay. So what was the purpose? What's the purpose of that? I don't know. It is, uh, basically, um, 
a an audit trail during the shift so that if it's it's how you know if somebody says hey I ordered this or I didn't order that or I I asked for a side of this you can go back and find the tab at least that's my understanding of it that's probably wrong and I probably still sound like an idiot who never leaves his desk but I think that's what it's for well, let, let's go back to Steve Crandall, and yeah. you were talking about... Long story short, I worked in the tap room, Okay. and I got yelled at for discontinuing Schwartz Beer a bunch, so it was, okay. good. it was good for everybody that I got to get the feedback that I'm an idiot. I mean, I don't think you're an idiot, but I think maybe there's some things... This is why it's so important as an entrepreneur, and at least I've seen it too, is when you're actually like doing a tasting at, you know, anywhere, or going and working in the... In the um, in the tasting room, you see people's physical reaction, like watching you drink farmhouse greens. Every time I see someone drink a Lumi or anything I've created, I like physically cringe in anticipation of are they going to hate it or are they going to like it? So, I mean, it's a good thing that you did it. And, um, but yeah, I think we skipped, we skipped ahead. This is a good, that was a great story we did, and we example, did. but I would be good. Let's go back to these beginning days where you were just kind of, it's, Devil's Backbone is born in this middle of nowhere field yeah. with the most fantastic sunsets and views you could ask for where it was going to be a development and you turned it in, it's Steve Crandall turned it into a brewery to put people to work. He was brewing his own beer and then you and this kid who was sitting next to you in global economics class yeah, yeah. came. Yeah. He didn't come. He, uh, he was smarter than me and got a better job. Uh, smarter is debatable. It, Look at where it, you are uh, now. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. He, got a, he got a more established job, a safer job. Um, he decided not to play the lottery, and I played the lottery. And luckily, I won the lottery. But so from 2000, <laughs> 2010, when you started Double yeah. Backbone, talk to us. Like, was it just a tasting room with some beers? Yeah. So I mean, you know, clarifying, you, you kind of said at the start, you know, something like uh, he set a company up to be sold to a multinational, or whatever, right? Yeah. Big team wasn't there first. Um, I I played a role, um, but. I there came was on no board. team, really, right? There was like how many of you worked? So with? there was a restaurant, right? We yes. were a, we were a two year old, two and a half year old brew pub that sure. had already won uh, like four medals at their first Great American Beer Festival, four medals at their first World Beer Cup, had won like best small brew pub of uh, in the world at the World Beer Cup. They had won four medals the next year at the Great American Beer Festival. So like so the beer, the, 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 the fundamental product was really good, right? Sure. The beers that we were making were really good, um, and the phones were already ringing off the hook from folks locally who wanted to carry the beer in their bars, but we couldn't make enough. It was, you know, our, our local wholesaler, Virginia Eagle, would come by every week and see if there were any Are kegs available. Are they still your distributor? They're still our distributor, Virginia yeah, Eagle, absolutely. yeah, and yep. they deliver in West Virginia, don't they? They don't. No, they don't. Uh, there's lots of Eagle distributors. Oh, okay, okay. But, uh, no, they run all the way from Springfield, Virginia, D.C. suburbs, all the way down to uh, Blacksburg. So, oh, wow. huge, huge Big operation. Territory. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, started, started right here, essentially. So there was an established thing, you yes. know, which I think as, as you think about starting a business, right, like I would, in retrospect and as I look around today, yeah. man, getting the first couple of years under your belt when there is literally nothing is yes. uh, an experience that I have no experience with and is <laughs> terrifying and hard. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it takes a, a level of just, like, self-belief yeah. uh, to, to get in there and do it and bootstrap it and like not worry about things being perfect, but just like get it, get it going. Um, I came into a, a functioning business with a good, good product that was small and wanted to be bigger essentially. Yep. And so I came on board, uh, Darden would let you do uh, projects for class credit. Sure. I had run a conference at, at Darden for people that wanted to work in wine, beer and spirits. 
and people from the local industry had come. You started that, right? I didn't start it. Jen Drapish was before me. Okay. Um, I don't know where Jen is today, but she was in the industry hey, for Jen, a long time. Check it out. Yeah, check it out. Um, she was the first one who took the, the Darden Wine and Cuisine Club. Whack. Haha. <laughs> Weighted average cost of capital. Um, That's an accounting term. It's, uh, oh, no, it's a finance term. I'm sorry. Like it's a finance term, yeah. Um, she took it from just being like a club for people that wanted to drink wine and eat food into people who might want to work in this yeah. seriously. So she was the year before me. She crushed it, and then I took that over. And it was a really good resource for local businesses to come in and get information because we would have Gallo and Anheuser-Busch and all these other big companies. And if you're a small winery around here, you don't have access to a lot of that information. So to hear what they were seeing in the market was useful. So anyway, the GM at Devil's Backbone's restaurant at the time came to that and afterwards reached out to the just little info at Wine and Cuisine Club conference or whatever it was and said – hey, you know, we are thinking about growing and we need help with our advertising. Do you know anyone that could help us? And I was yeah. like, I do know somebody that could help you. Who delivered beer. Yeah. Uh, so I showed up, and what I interpreted that they were looking for was was a, kind of a, a brand, not even analysis, but like how do we take who we are and put it on a bottle, essentially, is, is what okay. I distilled it down to. So I was in design thinking classes at the time, and I tried to use a lot of those concepts to... With Jean Lidka? With Jean Lidka, yep. She's still um, there today. Check out her book. Yep, they're amazing. Um, to try to evoke responses from people and how they felt about Devil's Backbone in ways that they wouldn't normally figure it out. And I, and it was really cool. A lot of what I've learned from that, I think we are still true to today. And, and one of the key things that I thought was so interesting then and is still true now is like my two my two favorite questions we asked people if... Devil's Backbone drove a car. What kind of car would it drive? And we did a round with all the staff, and the staff all said, oh, this is a, a rusty, beat-up, you know, rusted-out, overworked pickup truck covered in mud or whatever. That's how they described That's how they the, described yeah. Devil's Backbone. Okay. And they were describing their experience there, right? Okay. And then you'd talk to consumers, and they would be like, this is a Lamborghini, this is a Porsche, you have a high-end sports car. Wow. And it was like, okay. So, like, from internally, like, we're a hard-working, you know, potentially overworked um, you know, gritty brand. But loyal but, and always there for you. Yeah, but the way our consumer sees us is super yeah. fancy, right? And okay. so that was important in putting it together because, you know, you're always, you're working with what you know. And so when you start internally, you're like, oh, we're this like gritty pickup truck and we're, you know, blue collar and blah, blah, blah. And like Never all of our customer our base was like these people up on Wintergreen who had their second homes and everything. And they were like, no, you are a premium product. And so it was really good to have that reminder. Um, and then we asked who Devil's Backbone spokesperson would be, and that was fantastic. But Mike Rowe was the most common answer, which I thought was great. Like, former opera singer turned blue-collar work guy. Wow. Um, so cool, cool, uh, cool results. But a lot of that's still in the brand. And I would say, if, I bet if you ran that study today, you would still find internally people are like, yeah. you know, beat up hard-working pickup truck, and externally people are like, yeah, you've got a, you've got a Porsche. So. I mean, I think that your product is... The consumer of it is higher end when I think of like craft sure. beer and the beers that are out there. I mean, yeah, striped bass being the highest end possible if it was on the market. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, craft beer consumer in general is, right? Even as the demographic has widened, it's still a fairly narrow slice of the universe. We're constantly trying to grow it beyond that. So, from 2010 when you started there to building out the tap room and building out the direct to consumer through Virginia Eagle distribution network. Um, you know, to sell into Anheuser-Busch, and when was that, 2018? 2016, we joined Anheuser-Busch, yeah. Okay, 2016. 
what you know, talk about those six years. I mean, that's a that's a pretty short ramp up, and then all of a sudden, the anti bush is knocking on your door. I mean, it was wild. We were one of some years the fastest growing craft brewery in the country. Other years, one of the fastest growing craft brewers in the country. Um, you know, I would say it it speaks to the the beer industry is a really complicated place to do business. Alcohol is complicated. Yes, there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of things you can and can't do. Most places have a mandated three-tier system, and so you are required to sell. You can't, other than at your location, and in some states you can't even do that, you can't sell directly to a, a drinker. You have to sell to a wholesaler who's then going to sell to a bar or a restaurant or a liquor store, a convenience store, a grocery store, whatever, and then that grocery store finally gets to sell to the consumer. So you, are, you have a lot of customers down the line. You sure. have to convince a lot of people to carry your stuff, and there's a lot of feedback up and down that chain, right? Yeah. Like. Your wholesalers have a bias, your retailers have a bias, your consumers have a bias. And so understanding at the end of the day what's really going to work is super complicated. I would say the fact that we partnered with Virginia Eagle, who was a really capable wholesaler that went and visited every account, and they were really into our brand, right? Did they let you go with them to visit their Yeah, yeah. So we we did, and we do a lot of work with... The industry has changed a lot. When we started with Virginia Eagle... You know, in Virginia, there was only, I think technically there were like 150 breweries, but I could probably name 25 of them, and the rest, I think, just existed on paper. Sure. And there are now close to 400. So yes. at the time, the wholesaler network in general, and particularly the Anheuser-Busch wholesaler network, was really hungry for craft brewers to sure. be able to participate in the local craft beer scene. And so we were uh, essentially their first craft brewer along with Blue Mountain, and so they were, it, it, it was, the, the incentives were aligned, right? We wanted to grow and they wanted to grow their participation in this market that they hadn't been able to participate in before. And so they pushed us hard and then Bold Rock came along and they did the same thing. And so it got to a place where like every new account that opened up, they were like presenting to a new restaurant. Like, hey, if you're going to have taps, you need to have, you know, a Bud Light, a Bold Rock and a Vienna Lager on tap. And that was huge for us. So that partnership and then they were able to network us with the rest of their fellow wholesalers in the state who yeah. are all also very accomplished wholesalers. And like that was such an accelerant to our business in a way that had we either had to or wanted to do it on our own account by account, yep. it would have taken, we, we still wouldn't be there. It would have taken forever. And they were sure. able to help us accelerate so quickly. So um, there's a lot of, you know, pluses and negatives to wholesaler relationships and, and opinions about it in the alcohol industry for us it was the rocket fuel yeah. that that helped us out. It also helps, I mean, these are like nitty-gritty things, but it helps that Virginia is a chain grocery state because there's syndicated grocery data, which seems really inane, but a lot of states don't have that. And so you could be the best-selling brewery in Maryland. You could be, you know, 100 times bigger than anybody else, and almost no one's going to know about it because there's no way to track that data. But in Virginia, because we were growing so fast, our phone was ringing off the hook because that data gets published month after month after month, and it would show us, and there was a measurement that showed that we were growing. And so it became a self-fulfilling story for a while. Wow, um, that's awesome. And, yeah, eventually the big guys took notice. I mean, I wasn't there, but I've heard stories. The current CEO of Anheuser-Busch is a guy named Brendan Whitworth, who's awesome, and and... He was the Region 1 sales VP at, at the time. and our, I've heard Are we Region 1? We are Region 1, technically, okay. yeah. We are yeah. the Northeast, Northeast yeah. region, I guess, is what we call it now. But yes. um, at the time, it was Region 1. Um, and he apparently had been new in the job, and he landed in, in Virginia. Uh, I think it was down in Roanoke, and he went to the wholesaler down there, and he walked in the warehouse, and he was like, what is all this 
expletive, basically. I don't like, I don't know if I can curse on here, but whatever. You can, I mean, we'll keep it, we'll keep it clean. We'll keep it clean. Keep it clean. But um, he was basically like, what he was is mad. This? He was like, what yeah, is all this garbage? Is, in you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What's all this garbage in the warehouse? And they were like, yeah. you don't understand, man. This stuff sells like crazy. And so that was kind of the first. Um, and then we also had another crazy coincidence. There was um, one of the very, very most senior leaders of AB Global uh, was based in Richmond at the time, sure. weirdly. And so yeah. he saw it rise. And so, you know, everything good is a combination of some good decisions and some luck. And we had a lot of both for sure. Well, what would you say like was a failure moment or not a failure moment, but a moment where you're like, Oh man, I'm not certain this is going to work. Or did you never have those? I would say early on, uh, this will sound so I'll say something that sounds very conceited, but one of my favorite things about talking to entrepreneurs in business school was they would always come back and talk about the things that had failed, right? Their failure stories are so funny in retrospect, and they're funny because they now have a successful one, and so they can look back and laugh, ha, 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 about all the dumb ideas they had that didn't work. Sure. And they don't really talk about the ones that worked that much. They talk about the ones that like seemed like great ideas or were great ideas but the wrong time or just something didn't work or whatever, and they're fascinating. And we got to about the time that we were going to partner with AB, and I felt very much like we had just been riding this rocket ship and like yeah. I, we hadn't had a significant failure. There were, there's, there's certainly one I, I can think of along the way, but it didn't impede the business significantly. Sure. And I was like eager. I was like, when are, like, when am I going to fall on my face so that I learn something, you know, rather than just riding this wave. And that did happen later. I, I would say there was one, one along the way. Did you fall on your one face? Of, yeah, for sure. One of my, one of my favorites, uh, my sales director and I early on, Every year you go to your wholesaler, what's called the annual business yep. plan, and you, you say, you know, here's all the new brands, and here's the marketing support, and here's what we're asking for you to do on our behalf, and here's how much we're yep. going to invest in marketing to fund it, and samplings, and yada, yada, yada. All the business school things. Yeah, and um, I mean, we had just been drinking, I had just been drinking a lot of our own Kool-Aid, and we showed up with this whole plan we had worked on for months to Virginia Eagle, but we had worked at it on our own, by ourselves, in our, in our brewery. In your, in your bubble. And we took it to Virginia Eagle, and they just, we did the whole song and dance, hour and a half long presentation, and they were basically just like, no, oh. we're not going to do any of those things. And it was like, I'm sorry, what? And they're like, yeah, no, we, we don't think those are going to work. We're an independent business. We're just not going to do those things. And they were our first of a series, and they were all the subsequent days. And if your largest customer just flat out says, no, we're not going to do this, like you don't really have a choice. So then we went back and reworked the whole thing and went back to basics. And again, it was overnight, so we couldn't do it with feedback. Um, and we, we did a better job the next time. We basically took Virginia Eagle's feedback. So I guess that was our feedback. We took their feedback and turned that into the plan. Well, I, mean, I, th- I think that's good. I think you have a great story. And I, I think since knowing you since 2011, when I first met you, it's always been about you learning very quickly and being willing to listen and um, take feedback and iterate it on it immediately, and that's what's made you successful. And I think those success stories are incredibly as important as a failure story as, like, you know, you don't want to make all the mistakes I made, right? I continuously make mistakes every single day, and I just keep going, keep getting hit down and stand back up. Those aren't – but I don't think they're funny. I think they're more of, like, at what point am I going to learn? Yeah. 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 I mean, now we sit down, and, you know, we sit down early in the year – uh, you know, May, usually yeah. with our biggest customers, we say, hey, here's the earliest stages of what we're thinking. Like, sure. shoot some things down right now. If you're like, no way. Or if there's some big gap, you tell us and we've still got enough time to work on it. And we make sure now by the time we get to that planning meeting, sure. they're seeing nothing new. They've seen it over and over again. And 
you know, it's in some ways a formality because we've already done all the ugly stuff and sure. they've already told us we're stupid, but they've done it at a time when we can afford to be stupid and not when like the rubber is going to meet the road basically. Um, but no one's told you you need striped bass yet. I mean, I heard it a lot last fall when we put it on draft. So okay, yeah. maybe one day feedback. Fingers feedback crossed. heard. Yeah. Um, all right. So since you now are VP of Regional Craft Brew Breweries, um, what does that mean? How many breweries do, falls under your? So technically two now. Um, okay. We last spring uh, went through a transition. I took over Blue Point Brewing in Patchogue, Long Island, and Cisco Brewers on Nantucket. Um, and then throughout the fall, uh, AB uh, reached a deal with Tilray to spin off a few of the craft brands. Blue Point was one of them. So I like to think in that six months that I was so successful at running Blue Point that it turned it into a saleable asset. But that is BS. The people up at Blue Point were doing fine without me. Sure. They're doing fine now without me. I just got to have a couple of bacon, egg, and cheeses along the way, basically, on, in Patch Hog and, and eat some bagels and some chicken cutlets. So. Um, All sounds good. So that was good. But yeah, now I have, um, you know, I've gotten to incorporate a, a team of folks, a pretty small team of folks from Cisco Brewers in Nantucket. Really cool just to see how a different team does it. Um, sure. be, you know, we don't sell a lot of beer in Massachusetts, so to see how that, you know, alcohol is really regional in the way that it works. Devil's Backbone doesn't sell a lot of yeah, beer, yeah. but Cisco does. Cisco does, yes. Yeah. So I have not had experience up there prior. Yes. And all the little markets and all the cities are different, um, and so it's been fun to have a connection up there. And, and also just to, you know, they are a small group of people who are really passionate about Cisco in the same way that we are a group of people who are really passionate about Devil's Backbone, and so being able to be a part of that and, like, having a new thing that you're excited about is, is super fun. Um, and so we've learn from me. I mean, back to sort of the feedback thing, like they adopted the sort of early in the process wholesaler conversa conversations yeah. this year and it went really well for them. So that was great. And we've adopted some things from them. Um, they are scrappier than we've, I mean, we've, we've been with AB for longer and, and, you know, they have not, and they've been, they're scrappier. And so we've adopted some of that stuff. Um, so it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed that. Well, what's your favorite, uh, small craft brewery that is not affiliated with a larger, um, multinational brewing company. I mean, which small craft brewery is not affiliated with a multinational craft brewery these days? I mean, I think, well, I guess even Long Trail in Vermont is, Correct. or New Hampshire is now. Vermont, yeah. is it? Vermont. Um, yeah, I don't remember who it is, but they do have they, a partner. I don't yeah. think they're with a the big boy, but they do have a partner. So is there um, anyone independent? What about our guy down the street in Waynesboro? Uh, so Basic City's crushing it. Yep. Um, they're doing great. Uh, Three Notch is doing great. It's hard for me, especially locally, to separate the businesses and the people because I've sure. known the people for so long and sure. I think that really good people run really good businesses and um, you know I was here when Three Notch got started and, and worked closely with those guys in terms of like them bouncing ideas off and um, love what they've grown into and think they're doing a great job um, Dave Warwick's an amazing brewer and then um, you know same thing with Basic City I wasn't nearly as as, as uh, involved with their startup but I've gotten to know Bart and that team Sure. Along the way, and they've you know continued to be great partners and great friends, and um, they just make really good beer. And I would say, you know, Basic City especially right now, I'd say is definitely like in the in the zeitgeist right now. You you see uh, you see their beer everywhere. I think it's great for sure. Specifically in Virginia, I mean, well, Virginia, I don't see it outside of Virginia, but it is everywhere here, and it's good. Yeah, it's delicious. Okay, uh, one of the things that you tie yourself as is. Uh, <laughs> Leisure sports enthusiasts. Yes. Talk to us about what leisure sports you're playing these days. Now we're getting the really juicy details. Yeah, the juicy details. Uh, I have been days. playing uh, kickball for, I guess, the same amount of time I've been Devils back, 13 years oh my with the same kickball team here for beer. Shout out to you guys. We are uh, 
aging together, but some of you are still older than me, so that gives me permission to keep playing, which is great. Uh, and, uh, and we go back and forth uh, every year with Awesome Sparkle Squad, who is the other oldest team in the league and have been together for a long time. So uh, played a lot of, play a lot of that, play a lot of bocce, shuffleboard. Wait, how many teams are in this kickball league? Uh, it, it fluctuates. Fall's the biggest. I'd say there's, there's, there's also a JV sometimes. Um, oh, there's like okay. 8 to 10. You play 8 games a season, so you don't play all the teams. Wow. So I don't know. 10 to 12, maybe. Is there like a Virginia regional uh, kickball tournament? or a, a There is. We tried to host one of Devil's Backbone once, and yes. that's when I realized how manicured real fields are because our field's full of potholes and stuff. Oh, and yeah. just falling all over the place. Um, Seems like it could be a twisted ankle. But yeah, it's how I met all my friends post. You know, I, I stuck around right after Darden and everybody else left, more or less. And yes. so that's how I met all my friends. So big shout out to Seville Social and, and all the sports they do. Okay, so talk to me about mentors. Do you have any people that, aside from Steve Crandall and these other yeah. people, that have been longstanding supporters as you transitioned from the world of accounting to the world of craft beer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's tons. I've had a lot of people who have taught me things along the way. Sure. Um, you know, Steve, I knew I was learning from while I was with him. Sure. But also was like his counterpart. And so sometimes you're like, he was the, the energetic visionary his job was to make promises and my job was to fulfill those promises and so that can create friction right oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. um and when it was the two of us doing those things it was often frustrating um even though i could appreciate his role since his passing and honestly since we've gotten together with ab and the dynamics have changed like I miss that energy so much. It is not my fundamental skill set, and I, and I try to step up and step into it because I recognize that somebody has to be that. But it is not to say that it can't be learned, but, man, some people just have it, and he had it, and, uh, and that's something now where I will try to channel Steve. You know, a great example of that is, is actually this, this Orange Smash, right? Not for a, a random product plug, but also Orange Smash. Tell us. Award-winning was, distillery. This you know, is- we had been open for a few years in 2014 and I think he decided he felt like craft beer was getting crowded. He was already seeing what was coming way before I saw what was coming. Um, I was just like, I was like, man, I was drinking our own Kool-Aid. I was so excited about what we were doing. (laughs) And he was like, I want to open a distillery. And I was like, Steve, why do we want to do that? Like we've got all this run room. He was like, it just feels more open. It feels like craft beer was 20 years ago. And we went to our first distillers conference and it was like, all right, I'm going to learn this and we'll open it and whatever. And we, I was like, what are, what are we going to make? He was like, I don't know. I just want to have one, you know? Yes. And part of the deal, and we, we to get the money for it, was, was one of the motivators to, to partner with AB. And so once we got with AB, we built the distillery. And we started out with a line of bottled spirits, pretty traditional thing. Sure. And they didn't work that well. Yeah, um, you did bottled spirits, like not just mixed cotton. Right no, this drinks. wasn't really a thing at the time. Yeah, there were a few, but it wasn't really a thing. Like vodka? So we, what yeah, 2017. So we, made, we didn't want to make vodka because... Okay. One, it's specialized equipment, and then two, we just felt like a lot of people. One thing I noticed was when you go to we, – we went. I remember we went to Seattle for the distillers conference, and sure. every distillery, startup distillery there, was a whiskey distillery waiting for their whiskey to be ready, and yeah. so they were making gin and vodka, vodka then. Yes. And so it's like you spend two to three years training a consumer that you're making great whiskey or making great, making great gin and vodka – and then suddenly one day you have your whiskey and you're like, ah, forget about all that. How about our whiskey now? And it's, oh it's like a weird yeah. switch. And so I, I wanted to try to find a way that we could do it more naturally. So we made dark rum okay. um, to start. And then we did make gin because gin 
uh, for like we have a, a distiller. Our master distiller was a brewer with us first. Yes. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like IPAs. You can infuse it with stuff, and a you lot can of so, flavors. Yeah, so they they like making gins. Um, and we started there, and we launched in bottles. And like newsflash, it's very hard to launch a spirits brand in Virginia because it's oh, a yeah. control state, and you're really limited in terms of what you can do on the shelf. We got great buy-in. We arguably got too much buy-in from the state. The state put us in most stores across the state sure. with our rum. I didn't know this at the time, but rum's a small category, and yes. dark rum's an especially small category, and you can't really do that much marketing behind it on the yeah. shelf. You can't really sample people, so it was really, really hard. Um, we lasted a year, and then and that sort of to faded. be clear, like, Virginia Eagle cannot distribute right. yep. hard you, liquor. You they can only the, yep. distribute beer and ready-to-drink cocktails, yeah. um, and maybe wine or no? Yeah, they can do wine. And yeah, wine. Anything but spirits. But Virginia, and there's a couple other states that mm-hmm. are controlled states, you have to go through an ABC store, yeah. which is so a state-issued state. store. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. ship yeah. everything to yeah. a central hub in Roanoke, and, and they it. distribute for us. Um, so that didn't last long. No, that didn't so that, last that wasn't, long. That wasn't a failure, but that was another example of like how you went down an iterative path. Well, that was a failure, but, but, the, but the point was like then, so then along the way, Heidi, Steve's wife, was like, yep. hey, I'm starting to see these cocktails in a can. Like, let's yeah. try those. And, yeah. and I was like, all right, Heidi, that can be your project. Thanks, like, you do it. Thanks, Cheers Heidi. To you, Heidi. And so Heidi kind of started inventing these, essentially. And this has worked. Like, this is our new Vienna Lager. Vienna Lager is, is the biggest Virginia-made craft beer in Virginia by a long shot. Sure. And Orange Smash is a, on a national scale, is a top 20 can cocktail brand and we only really sell in Maryland, DC and Virginia. So it's huge. It's absolutely huge. It's amazing. And the only reason that we have it is because Steve kind of had a wild hair that he wanted to build a distillery. And so when I think about our innovation process and how we innovate, like I am by nature, the person who's going to like pull all the data and decide what we should do. And you know, somebody said to me a while ago, and it's true. Like if there's data, it means a lot of people are already doing it. And Steve was the kind of person that was just kind of like, feels like we should do this. And that's not always perfect, but like, man, you need he some of that. A lot and like so, me. yeah, but you need that in the yeah. innovate. Like, I need data people. Yeah. I need people who are pulling the numbers and saying, "Hey, this is why that's a good idea, a bad idea." Or like, here's how I can how, how I can correlate it to things. But you also need some people who just fundamentally are passionate about the thing they're making. Yeah. And are gonna put in the effort to teach people about what it is they're making. And that's like we we try really hard. Our, our one of the areas that we screwed up, one of the big mistakes that. Yeah mid along the way is our innovation got really, really, really commercial led. Okay. So it was always like, hey, here's the market opportunity. Brewers make this. And A, they hated that. Did that and come from you all or did that come from higher up? That came from me. No, okay. that came that came from, from Self, us. I mean some of it's is very important. Some of it's trying to, you know, figure out how to navigate through a big company and see where the white spaces are and the opportunities are. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, hey, we we wanna we get jealous. We see somebody being successful with something else, and we want to be successful with that. This is Virginia's ours. Like we should do better. Virginia and so, is, is yours. Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's also not. There's lots of other good breweries <laughs> as well who do better at some things than we do. And so, you know, for a while we were we were directing so much, make this, make that, and we and and sometimes you have to do that by necessity to like fill a hole on the shelf or whatever. But we've yeah. tried to move our innovation process now to where it's far enough ahead of our commercial needs that it is largely uh, like brewer and distiller driven. And it's like, hey, make a a slate of things that you love Mm -hmm. and make them a bunch till they're really great. And then we'll put those through a commercial filter. And we'll see if you made 20, there might be only one that's like commercially viable, but at least you love it and it came from somewhere organic. That's how you hit the grand slams. Like we can, you, you need to hit singles 
all day, right? Yeah. And that's what data-driven innovation is. Like, I got to keep up, right? If there's something, if I'm the largest craft brewery in Virginia, which I am, and hazy IPAs are trending, I need to make a hazy IPA. I need to participate. Isn't it, isn't it named after you, the hazy IPA? Uh, it used to be. It used to be. Very insultingly, they kept the beer and changed the name because apparently no one wanted to buy a beer with my face on it. Yeah, but his face was on the beer. I remember seeing it for the first time. I was like, oh, hey, buddy. Yeah. Spotted because uh, you were on it. Brutal. That was brutal. That's what, they, that's what the brewers do when they're mad about something you make them do. They name it after you. Okay. Um, so we had a pumpkin and beer named picture. Ichabod Crandall, named after Steve Crandall. Yeah. And then, um, and then uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, would you say that it's helpful that you have this um, tasting room to kind of be like an in- innovation center? I mean, think of the diverse population that comes through Devil's Backbone. Yeah. We, yes, absolutely. And we're trying to use it better. Okay. Um, and we also are always trying to be realistic about is the demographic that comes to our location also the people buying our stuff in the market? And in some cases it is, and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. Typically on our craft beer, it tends to be. Um, so it's a pretty good proxy. I'm not coming for the food. Hey, On things like sure. this, ouch. Wow. <laughs> Chef Dale is amazing. We have an amazing set of beer dinners lined up. We move them all over the property. We have them in the greenhouses. We have them in the distillery. You've clearly never been to one. I haven't been to one. I need to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying for my, my experience. The next one been... live from a Devil's Backman Let's beer do dinner. It. Brutal. Let's do the uh, next one live from the kitchen and, and and at the dinner. I would love to do that. Listen, uh, I'm just give, I'm just giving you the business. Don't make the kitchen mad because the beer is my favorite. <laughs> Fair enough, um, but uh, but yeah. So so we we try to blend those things, right? I I do think more and more the the industry is also evolving, right? It, it sort of peaked, I would say, pre COVID, during COVID ish, with like yeah. around the time where people are like hey, this is crazy. This can't last, right? And, yes. and they were kind of right. It, it's what sort can't of, last? Like the, the craziness the, of the, the amount of alcohol that got consumed when people were locked in their house? <laughs> the, that part uh, we don't hate, but <laughs> more the uh, gimmickiness of innovation, I would say. Okay. So you started getting like Doritos beer and fried chicken beer and stuff like oh, this yeah. and stuff that was like not done for the quality of the product, but done for the shock value. Sure. And that was kind of like that was the that was the jumping the shark moment. I'm surprised you don't have a farmhouse greens beer. We I had mean, some grapefruit beers that were phenomenal. Great idea. Yeah, we have a grapefruit smash that's really yeah. good. Yeah. But I think that things are starting to come back down to earth. Sure. All the trends that we're seeing and reading about are back towards more traditional style beers. I think we're yeah. a few years out from like right now IPAs are king. 100 not, oh, yeah. I, not only IPAs king, but like nine percent IPAs are king. And now we're at a place where people look around being like. That can't last forever, right? And what I've learned in... Well, I just can't have one at Devil's Backbone and drive home. With I mean, it, yeah, no, it's a lot. That's why you buy it at the convenience store right next to your house. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I've learned now, being in the industry for a while, that when people start being like, this can't last, could it? That's like the first moment. It takes years for that to actually fall through. So IPAs are not going anywhere. I'm not here sure. predicting the death of IPAs. But we're starting, I think, to see that next phase. And it's coming as breweries close. Craft is now flat essentially um and so everybody's got to get smarter about hey what's the next evolution a lot of us devils included rode this rocket ship during the the 2010s craft has been here before it's gone through several expansions and consolidations and now for a lot of people devils included it's at the first real moment of tightness and so you got to get through it and be smart about it and then there's green grass on the other side and so that's kind of what we're all working towards and i think i am much more back towards it needs to work at our location. Like if people are, if we can't sell it to people at our own bar, yeah, who's going to buy it out there, right? It's not true of everything, but yeah. 
man, we got to be good at that. Well, I think that's a good question. Um, if what do you do, you think this it will always be a regional craft, or do you foresee are your plans to go all across the country with Vienna Lager? We don't have those sorts of aspirations in this moment in craft. That's sure. you know a, a bigger ask. There's not a lot of folks that are doing that successfully right now. Okay. We have a, a big home market here, and so we're constantly um, trying to figure out like how do we continue to be more and more ingrained in our home market here and, and be more relevant here and make sure that we're participating in all the spaces that we need to participate in. And then, you know, there's opportunities to do things here and there. But, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, people were just like, 50 states, go. Yeah. Um, that is – and most of them – Collapsed under that. Like it's just I, not I, a I did thing. that with my juice company. Fifty states and go. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. not uh, not trying to pick it old wounds, no, but it's, I know it's you can't. Good. It's tough to support that, it's, right? It's it takes a lot of tough. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of partnership. It is what we thought we were going to do sure. when we joined AB. Sure. And you know, for a time, walked around like feeling like, why aren't we doing this? And like now, you look at the world and you look at who's successful and who's not successful. Like, man, there's really strong. As things get tight, there are these really strong regional players that are doing well. We are one of them, and we want to continue to be one of them. And, and so, you know, who can say what's going to happen in five years or six years or whatever? But right now, the name of the game is, like, if you can't sell beer to the people within 100 miles of your brewery, like, you probably can't sell beer to people in California, you know? For sure. Well, so Hayes told me before the show started that, you know, those doors open, and it's – I forget how you said it. You said it so fluently. Can you say the door open quote about which one you should walk through? <laughs> sure, yeah. I said my, my philosophy in life has always been – to keep as many doors open as you can for as long as you can and don't walk through one until you have to and then just pick the best one that you have. Um, so the 50 states is still open. It just hasn't yeah. been walked through yet. Yeah, you know, same, I think, said a d- different way. It's like make as many friends as you can Yeah. and see what happens. You never know what, what's going to happen in the universe. For sure. I mean, look, you, you came onto the podcast. Thing. I mean, yeah. I, our first day at Lumi, I didn't think, you know, whenever that was, 2015, I didn't think I, I'd go from like, you know, putting carrots in a juicer to being on a podcast with you. So. I know it's a big change. Yeah. Um, well, talk. To, one last thing I want to ask you is, you know, what kind of advice would you give to people that you know are pursuing a career change and, um, you know, an adventure like you went through? Yeah. Um, I know for me, I am only successful when I'm very passionate about the thing I'm doing, and okay. it's not just about beer or making beer I do think that's exciting but I also just love the the role that we fit into people's lives that people come to our locations when they want to celebrate something that people crack open a Vienna lager when they're having a good time that people are taking orange smash on a boat and and enjoying their time with it like I want to drink responsibly though drink responsibly don't drive the boat while you're you know let somebody else drive and then you drink the orange a friend with a boat is that's the best kind of boat so that's what you want um and so I just love being a piece of that aspect of people's lives. That's what's really motivating to me. And then sure. also the fact that Devil's Backbone over over the years has gotten to a scale where we can be really supportive of things in our community. We do a ton of work with the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank. Okay. We've done a ton of Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Um, you know, really important causes that we're able to make significant, um, you know, impact on. And so as long as we're, you know, sort of providing fun to people and, and – um, helping the community and being a part of the fabric of the community, like that is what gets me excited about this job. And then the the people I work with are get, what get me out of bed every day. Genuinely, I know that's like a thing people say, but I've just hired amazing people, and I 
I love working with them. But I would say, just like, I think that's true of most people. You're going to be more successful if you love it. And so if you're going to take a risk and you're going to jump off a diving board and start something new, like, man, unless there are some people who are very financially motivated, and if that's your thing, do it. But otherwise, you know, when you talk to all those failed entrepreneurs, they have funny stories because they liked what they were doing even while they were failing at it. And that's... That's better. Um, I, I, uh, I was lucky enough that the sale to Anheuser-Busch happened right as my fifth year Darden reunion came up. And so I did get to look smarter than I was at that reunion. But I'll never forget the number of com- – like when I started at Devil's Backbone, like I took a pay cut from pre-business school. Oh, sure. It was I mean, KPMG not, to a brewery. Yeah, it was not a sure thing. My parents thought I was crazy. I always remember my mom, my mom like emailing me an article from the New York Times about craft beer, and that's when she finally decided. Oh, the New York Times wrote about it. Maybe this is real. That's but so like, funny. you know, I had nothing to lose. I wasn't married. Sure. I didn't have kids. There was nothing going. It was fine. But it was also like could have gone super wrong. Um, and all, a lot of my friends did the you know, hey, I'm going to go work in finance for two or three years, and then I'm going to get yeah. to what I want to do. And none of those people came back to the union and was like, I'm glad I made that decision, right? They were all like, I should have done what you did, which yeah. felt good, because time is finite, and I've enjoyed pretty much every day of my job, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. So I think you do better work when you're passionate about what you're doing, and it's a lot more fun, and sometimes you get to make money doing it. I've been very lucky in that regard, um, but I'd be, I was happy even when that wasn't the case. You know? For so. sure. What does your mom say to you now? Uh, my mom passed away a couple years oh, ago. I'm so sorry. To hear. <laughs> okay. I'm, so sorry. I'm over it. Not a big well, deal. Well, you never have to be I'm, over it. But no, no, did she no. see you be successful? She did. She yeah, totally and did. What did. How did uh-huh. she change her mind? Um, you know, my mom was proud of me and whatever I did. I had okay. one of my, I had a, I had a mother. A I had a mother who went to business school in the late '70s. Okay. What did exec, she do? Uh, she was an executive at Citibank. She did a lot of finance and HR. Yeah. Uh, she did that in the early '80s when it was not. You know, women were not senior executives at Citibank. My mom was a, a, a power lady. And actually, one of the most moving experiences of my life was, uh, ugh, I might get choked up now, uh, was at her funeral. There were a lot of people I had never met there who came up and they were like, you don't know how much your mom helped me and mentored me as I came into the business world. And like, I knew a lot about my mom, but I didn't know that aspect of yeah. her. I knew she was a, a feminist, but I thought she executed it largely in her own sort of like the way she went to work. And I didn't realize what a network of people she had brought along. So it's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. What was your name? Sharon. Sharon. Yeah. Cheers to Sharon. Cheers to Sharon. And cheers to uh, UVA Medical Center who took care of her along the way, on the way out. They did a great job, genuinely. That's great. Mm-hmm. But so she came down and moved to Charlottesville. And so she got to be here. And you got to be with her. Yes. Okay. She was down here for my baby shower. <laughs> she got sick and went to the hospital. Oh, my God. Super brutal. We should probably stop Let's change the topic. Yeah, let's go to a different topic. I love my mom. I miss her. She would have been a great grandma. She sounds grandma. like a badass. Okay. She she was... It's mostly funny to me that you've dug yourself into this hole. I know. Bit. Thank it's you, okay. guys. We can get out of it. I'm good at digging my house and dolls. <laughs> well, to Sharon and her city bank, and that's awesome that she supported yeah. others because I think women in that financial world, even last week I was talking about how women in finance – a lot of times don't support other women in finance, which is just like mm-hmm. unbelievable, but it sounds like your mom was one of the anomalies, which was awesome. Um, and so now that you're a father yourself yeah. and you've gone through uh, being a parent, yeah. uh, what's kind of your advice to your children? I don't know. Luckily, they're not at a place where I have to give them advice yet. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that same advice. I think it's... Um, I think about it a lot. Like, I've taken a fairly traditional 
you know, approach to life, even though I've yeah. been craft beer and it's been fun, but like, yep. you know, I, I grew up in New York city. I got a great education there. I went to private undergrad. I went to the business school. I was an accountant. I'm now like a, you know, I'm an executive. I'm in craft beer, but I'm still a, a business guy, you know, like yeah. one of my kids is super into music. So I think about it all the time, yeah. like currently his life goal is to be a bucket drummer. He's five years old. So there's still time to do other that's things, awesome. but it's like, okay, what if that's his thing? Uh, so how do we support that? And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to work. I'm not uh, an experienced parent, but I hope the goal is that same thing. Just try to be the best, genuinely, like, try to be the best bucket drummer you can be. I mean, Washington Square Park in New York City's yeah. got a lot of great bucket yeah. drummers. Yeah, I mean, go be an off-Broadway stomp bucket drummer or something. Yeah. Like, there's, there's angles for everything to work, so... Like I said, luckily, um, I have some time to figure that out. But mostly my advice now is don't put that in your mouth is pretty much the main thing I'm telling them. I think that, that's good. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. Awesome. All right, cool. Um, hey, Judah, can we get a time check, please? It is 3.23. Okay, sorry. I'm really bad at keeping. Uh, oh, it's 3.23? Oh, so we went over. Oh, okay. So anyway... <laughs> This is why you I need just, to get a clock on the me, juicy details. Yeah, you just let me talk. Um, no, there were such good things we talked about, but in the in the thing of time and having to get kids at school, I, I, we, and this is live, we have to to finish the yeah. show. But I think we covered a lot. We covered transition of our entrepreneurship. We talked about being an accountant, how you've like really just learned from everything. You listen well, and that you've really just created this amazing um, life for yourself. And so. One last question, since you also say that you're an amateur globetrotter, where's the favorite place you've been and your bucket list place? And we'll end on that. Oh, man. Bucket list place is tough. Uh, those are both tough questions. I, I proposed to my wife in Bruges, Belgium. Okay. I love Belgium. Um, and we took one of the, actually, I think the last trip, not the last trip. One of the last trips prior to kids was to Croatia, to the okay. Mediterranean coast of Croatia. So beautiful. Very hard to get there. Highly recommend it to anyone who is able. It was uh, very, very, very cool. Um, and just such, such nice people. I think bucket list for me next is I really love second cities, smaller cities and places. And so there's okay. a lot of places I've been to London a lot, but like we used to brew beer in the UK and it was in Wolverhampton and I loved Wolverhampton, which is in the Midlands. And like, um, I, there's a lot of other cities in Germany I'd really like to get to yeah. and drink beer. Um, yeah. I've never done the Christmas markets thing. Oh, so, so beautiful. Um, that is where I hope to get to someday. Well, thank you. Um, the juicy details, we definitely got emotional on the juicy details today. I'm mm -hmm. sorry about that, Hayes, but I'm so thankful that you were here. Yeah, all right, all so right. thankful that you were here, and thanks for uh, getting, getting talking and being honest. I think people really appreciate that. Um, all right, well, love you, mean it. From here, the juicy details to you all at home, and see you next Wednesday live at 2 p.m. Eastern, 2.15 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, Hayes, so much for coming. Yeah, see you, everybody. Bye. Bye.